It has been a wild week in Israel and bloody hot, literally and metaphorically. Today, State of Tel Aviv and Beyond focuses on what went down on Tuesday, July 11th at Ben Gurion Airport and throughout the country. It was a massive day of disruption, where major roads, ports, and Israel's lifeline, the international airport, were blocked or disrupted. Protesters were everywhere and constantly on the move, making everything a challenge for all. We take a close look at what set off this latest national fury and the change in how police are handling the controlled mayhem. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. On Tuesday, July 11th, the country's well-oiled civil disobedience machine kicked into high gear. Why? Because on Sunday, the coalition government, led by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, had introduced a controversial bill in the Knesset dealing with one aspect of its judicial reform legislation. The plan was that it would zoom through second and third readings in the following days, becoming law by the end of this week. But that never materialized. Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition partners know very well that the majority of Israelis, among them many Likud supporters, oppose the so-called judicial reform legislative initiative and the manner in which it has been handled. It's tearing the country apart. Many believe that if this legislation is passed, that liberal democracy in Israel will be significantly eroded, perhaps destroyed. And then there's the America factor. Israel's most critical ally is very unhappy with all of this and more. President Biden rebuked Israel in recent days, commenting that he has never seen such an extremist government in Israel, reminding us that he's been very engaged since the days of Golda Meir. That's a long time, and he's right. Then there was a comment, a stinging comment, from outgoing U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, saying that America is focused on preventing Israel from, quote, going off the rails, close quote. That was quite a jolt. Also in the mix this week was a column in the New York Times by Tom Friedman, saying what has been clear to many for months, that America is taking a hard look at its relationship with Israel, which really is diplomatic speak for this government is out of control. And how did the government react? Well, National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir snapped. He said President Biden should know that Israel isn't just another star on his flag. You get the general tone and quality of this government at the highest levels. The center of the protest universe on Tuesday was Israel's national airport, just south of Tel Aviv. And Carrie Keller-Lynn, a political reporter for the Times of Israel online newspaper, was in the thick of things on the ground and shares with State of Tel Aviv what she saw. Carrie Keller-Lynn, thank you so much for joining State of Tel Aviv today. It's a Wednesday, and it's the day after the day of disruption protest that pretty much shut the country down. 
and you were at the airport, correct? I was at the airport, which was sort of seen as the marquee protest of this crazy, you know, more than 12 hour long multi-site protest that basically spanned Israel from its top to its bottom. What time did you arrive at the airport? I got to the airport at 4 p.m., which is when the protest was supposed to start, but it was already well underway by the time I arrived. And I arrived in a regular commuter train packed to the gills with people. It was so hot yesterday in Israel. It was humid. Just to kind of give you a a sense, the viscerality, like the discomfort, people were asking each other for water, people couldn't move. And that was really repeated once you got to the airport itself, because you know, it's basically the space of a two-lane highway that's kind of hemmed in on every side. And the police, to make it, you know, a little bit more controllable, but also worse for the protesters, cordoned people off into a certain section. And so it became very densely packed, very hot, very humid, very frenetic, very loud, very quickly. And, and basically you walk in, it's these sounds, it's kind of like cacophony of people chanting democracy, other chants playing these noisemakers, beating on drums, just kind of this din that just shakes you to your core. You feel it in your chest. It's so loud. You're screaming to communicate with other people. People were using hand signs to try to communicate with each other. That's how loud it is. So imagine trying to hear a police officer if he says, please move aside, right? You know, there's this kind of tension of waiting for something to happen. And then either somebody steps over a line or somebody doesn't hear a directive and a police officer shoves and then shoving kind of these, these pushing matches kept breaking out very much within the actual protest area itself. I witnessed a man standing, you know, five feet away from me, basically get held by the police, like someone by his throat, police officer grabbed his throat. The man had his hands on his head. He wasn't pushing back at all. It was very unclear Uh, what was happening. Eventually, protesters broke through part of the section, completely blocked off one of the access roads to Ben-Gurion. Things seemed to calm down then, actually, once they were given more space. And uh, basically, the thing broke up because the protest shifted its mass from Ben-Gurion Airport to Tel Aviv, where we saw a little bit over 100,000 gathered last night as kind of the finale to this day of disruption. And did you join the, the throng as it moved from the airport to Kaplan? I did. I, I missed a train or two, actually, because there were so many moving from the airport to Kaplan. But I, I did make my way there as well. I didn't stay the whole night, but I, I definitely got a taste of, of what it felt like to be in the middle of this. State of Tel Aviv is supported by people like you. But creating quality independent content requires resources. And I'd really appreciate it if you would support our work by becoming a paid subscriber. This is a particularly intense and important time in Israel. We will bring you real stories in real time that are shaping the nation. Thanks. And now back to the podcast. A week earlier, there had been a protest at the airport and Carrie had been there as well. Throughout these months of protests, Minister of National Security Itamar Ben-Gvir, whose agenda is, as he loves to say, to be part of a totally, totally right-wing government. Ben-Gvir has been going on for months about how soft the police are on the leftist, elitist Tel Aviv protesters. In the aftermath of the airport event on Tuesday, which involved further protests in Tel Aviv, the police were dealing with peaceful civil disobedience, rather aggressively. Carrie and I talk about this shift that is very apparent. 
the police felt both much more coordinated and much more aggressive this week versus last week. Last week, it kind of felt like no one was prepared for what happened. Protesters basically run amok throughout the terminals, blocked the entire access road for maybe five or six hours. I felt like it was more violent yesterday. I have to say that these protests, one of the real remarkable things about them, aside from the fact that they are true civil society-led protests, like this is the fullest expression of democracy, is the fact that they're actually very nonviolent. Right? We're talking about a few scattered incidents when we have hundreds of thousands of people protesting every week. And that is incredible. The fact that we haven't had serious injuries. We had some injuries this week. We had some people have eye injuries from police water cannons. Yesterday, there was a man who was trampled by a mounted officer. There are injuries, but there have been no deaths and there, there have been no injured police officers. And so when I say violence, it's it's pushing, it's tensions, it's chokeholds, it's uncomfortable holds, it's rough handling protesters. But we need to, to remember and keep that in proportion. It's just that the tension was very different and this feeling of police control. And, and Vivian, I think it's important to mention that part of what happened between last week and, and this week is that there was sort of a change of command in the police. I'm glad now, you've raised that. I'm glad you raised that, Carrie, because I just to interject briefly. I've been to a few protests in Tel Aviv where I live and I, I felt a very, very different vibe there were not only more police officers, visible officers that I've ever seen before, but the way in which they were conducting themselves was also very different. So you're a professional observer of this and you were on the ground. I was in the comfort of my living room with air conditioning, watching everything on television, which isn't quite the same experience. So why don't you explain to the listeners what has happened in terms of change of leadership and how that may be affecting the experience of the protesters. Right. So we're talking about Tel Aviv specifically now. Yeah. Uh, for the last several months, the Tel Aviv police chief, a man named Ami Eshed, has been under attack from our national security minister for taking what Itamar Ben-Gvir, national security minister, says is kind of too soft of a hand against protesters who block roads, cause public disturbances, etc. Eshed was basically pushed out mid last week. He announced he'd be retiring from the force. He's technically still on the force, but he didn't command this week's protest days. His deputy did. And we've seen a really, really big shift in policy. The factors you mentioned, the number of officers deployed, the measures that are used, such as water cannons, mounted officers, just the level of force that's used, the pushing, and specifically the number of arrests. Yesterday, we saw 77 arrests which is, I think, the highest number we've seen to date in a day of protests. Absolutely. It's not only, if I may, not only the use and deployment of water cannons, because that's occurred previously, but the fact that they're being aimed at people's heads, which my understanding is not done, that water cannons cause eye injuries, just as they did last week to a few individuals in Tel Aviv, water cannons are typically aimed at the lower parts of the body and the feet. Yeah, it's, it's a blunt weapon, we should say, right? It's a blunt instrument. Yes, it is. But but yes, I when I got on Wednesday of last week, really scary scene I saw. This was the night that Amiash had said he was politically pushed out. This was something he said on he went on TV. He said, I was pushed out for political reasons. And protesters took to Tel Aviv's Ayalon Highway to basically express their outrage at this. Burned tires on the highway. Ultimately, water cannons were 
were called in. And there was a really scary scene where water cannons were so intensely directed at a group of protesters who were lining sort of the retaining wall of one side of the highway. And this retaining wall has a, about a 20 foot drop onto concrete. And it looked like at one point that they were about to push people over. And we saw a couple of Israeli flies get knocked out of their hands and fall over. And a person next to me gasped. She thought that a, a protester was still attached to that flag. And so there, there's some really scary moments involved in these water cannons. It's not innocuous. You hear water. It's not like a sprinkler. No, it's an incredibly strong and powerful weapon, blunt force, as you put it. On Wednesday night, Minister Ben Gvir appeared on Israel's most watched television news show on Channel 12 and had a robust exchange with reporter Karen Marziano. She presented Ben Gvir with photographs and film clips of the police aggression and wounded Israelis. One man in Tel Aviv was trampled by a police horse, deliberately. The filmed evidence showed him to be just standing on the highway. Yes, a misdemeanor in and of itself, but that's it. The man was doing nothing violent, not even speaking to police. Are you concerned about these events? Marziano asked Ben Gvir over and over. And his response, with his trademark wide grin, beyond inappropriate in such circumstances, and his ever bellicose loud manner, was to ask Karen Marziano repeatedly, why are you so disturbed by what you see? This is how the police work, he said. When there are demonstrations with the ultra-Orthodox, Ethiopians, and others, this is how they work. Why should it be different for the, quote, privileged leftists? What Ben Gvir says is simply untrue. Yes, water cannons are used in other demonstrations, but they are never aimed at people's heads. And invariably, such measures are deployed in response to violent rioters, which is a reasonably regular occurrence with the ultra-Orthodox community when they protest against even the possibility of being drafted into the army or being forced to work due to a cut to their generous welfare entitlements. And they have a habit of throwing rocks and smelly liquids at police and blocking roads with overturned dumpsters, which are then set afire. That is very different from what went down at the airport, in Tel Aviv, and elsewhere in Israel on Tuesday. Benvir is comparing apples to oranges. He also seems to be enjoying his power far too much. He's going to show those arrogant leftist Tel Aviv types what it feels like to be on the other end of the sharp, pointy spear. It's interesting. When Ben Gvir's supporters went marauding through the West Bank a few weeks ago, burning Palestinian villages, vehicles, and fields for days on end, behaving like thugs, he had no criticism for them. No. He only had harsh words for the IDF, which was hardly present and did very little to contain the mobs. When the IDF referred to this conduct as national terrorism, Bengvir, Smotrich, and others went ballistic. Religious Zionist minister Orit Struk referred to the IDF as the Wagner forces, comparing them to the Russian mercenary army operating in Ukraine and Africa. The settlers' pyrotechnic rampage was, according to Bengvir and his colleagues, a totally justifiable response to the murder of four Jewish men in a West Bank homeless joint. One of the victims was 17. As horrific as that event was, it cannot be used to justify mass terrorism, certainly not by a cabinet minister, but it was. And through all this madness, the prime minister 
said nothing at the time. A few days later, he made a weak comment about the law in Israel being applied equally in Judea and Samaria and on the Ayalon Highway in Tel Aviv. He had clearly been bullied into saying something, anything, by his so-called coalition partners. Ben Gvir also applauded and encouraged his followers to get out and put a new settlement on every hilltop in the West Bay. Illegal or not, he doesn't care, because God promised the land to the Jews and it was his birthright to take it. This is the man directing the police in Israel today. During the last election campaign, Ben Gvir would strut around at campaign events and yell about showing the Arabs who's the, quote, landlord here, meaning the Jews are the boss. This is our home. Well, I can now say with confidence that he has the same contempt for secular Jews living in Israel. He sneers at them all for being leftist elitists, and he's definitely showing us who is boss. He is a demagogue on a mission, and he has a lot of power. What is remarkable is that, in spite of the huge inconvenience that the protests imposed on travelers and workers, the airport somehow managed to operate. I'm sure that it wasn't fun getting in and out, but once through the doors and inside, authorities kept the planes running. Kerry said that 70,000 passengers transited through Ben Gurion Airport on Tuesday and not a single flight was cancelled, and apparently there were no delays either. Among the lighter moments of what was a long, hot, intense day, Kerry described one large group that emerged into the chaos. There are some great characters. There was a, a church group from Honduras, and I asked a couple of the folks what they thought, and they're like, we have no idea what's going on here. You know, nobody prepared them. They're like, I think we read about this a couple of weeks ago. Like there's there's something going on with democracy. Are they for it? Are they against it? Right. Because no, they don't speak Hebrew. And I also went up to the departures level. I found families sitting there getting to the airport something like 12 hours ahead of their flights because they were so concerned about being held up. I'm not sorry that I wasn't there. And I hope for your sake that you get a week off before the next airport protest. But <laughs> Carrie Keller-Lynn, thank you so much for speaking with me and City of Tel Aviv today and letting us know what it really felt like on the ground there. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The good news is that I record this on Thursday morning. The legislation that sparked the Tuesday protests has not had its third and final reading yet in the Knesset. The government swore it would be passed this week. They still have the rest of the day. But in the meantime, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been silent. Silent. He made one inane comment about ambulances being blocked on Tuesday by the crowds. A false claim that was quickly refuted. Otherwise, nothing. They've all been quiet, our national leaders. We'll see what next week brings. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me? I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. 
Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, have a great weekend.